right. Well, we're starting a new series today, and uh, the series is called, What Gospel Do You Believe? Now, that's the name of the series, What Gospel Do You Believe? My message today is entitled, That's Not the Gospel. That's not the gospel. And I want to start by making this statement. John the Baptist didn't come and preach the gospel. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And in preparing the way for the Messiah, he readied the people. He readied the nation. He prepared the spiritual climate. By calling people to repentance, to be baptized in water as a sign of their sins are being washed away and they're repenting. And he called them to turn from sinful lifestyle. Do you know, we want a revival in America. How many of you want a revival in America? How many of you believe America needs a revival? God prophesied through Isaiah that before the Messiah would come, one would come to prepare the way. Do you know that there needs to be a preparation whenever we want to have a visitation of God? And you know what that preparation is? It's called repentance. It's called looking inside of our lives and taking responsibility for what's not right and turning from it and coming to God with it and being honest and owning it so that you can get rid of it. Amen. Absolutely. And that is such a fundamental principle in the realm of the spirit. You see, we're so used to living in the realm of the natural world. But as surely as there is a natural world and there are principles to day-to-day -day life, there are there are principles to the supernatural world. And as much as there's a natural world, let me tell you, there is a spirit world, and more happens in the realm of the spirit than in the realm of the natural. In fact, a lot of what happens in the natural world is happening because stuff is going on in the spirit world. And too often, it's the spirit world of darkness that is happening in the world, and it's causing stuff to happen in the natural we want things to happen in the spirit realm, but by the spirit of God and for the glory of God. Can I get an amen? And when the spirit realm is stirred with the things of God, the manifestation starts to show up here on planet earth. And so according to God's principles, according to the word, there is a principle. God wants to show up. How does God show up? He will send a messenger to prepare the way. And when John came, what did he do? He called people to repentance. You say, well, is that an isolated situation? No. God said in, in, in the Old Testament, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their sins, and pray, I will hear from heaven. You see, there are divine principles that override the principles of a natural world. 
I don't care who's in government. I don't care which party is at fault. I don't care how bad things are getting. If I start to apply the principles that are in God's word, the principles of God's word will overpower the principles of this world and they will overpower the principles of the kingdom of darkness. You cannot operate and live in the principles of God and lose. Absolutely. And so in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start with the first gospel. And what I'm going to do in the first part of this message is almost chronologically from the beginning of Matthew to the end of Matthew and then Mark and then Luke and then John, wherever there's a reference to uh, the kingdom of God or repentance, I'm going to briefly just touch on some of those scriptures. John readied the people for the coming, for a visitation of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, and then we're going to read verse 5 to 6. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Rid crookedness out of the culture of society. Now he's talking to Israel, a nation that was supposed to be living by a theocracy. We make a big deal about our democracy. But when the majority of the people in a democracy aren't living in their personal lives by the government of a theocracy, then the democracy becomes a government of anarchy. Did you hear me? We love the fact that we have a democracy. All through the Bible, you see a theocracy. When God calls a people, he calls them that he would be their God and he would lead them. Now, I will say that amongst the governments of men, amongst the governments of human nations, I prefer democracy over any other government. I don't want socialism. I don't want communism. I want a democracy, but the problem with a democracy is that when the the people of the democracy no longer have God at the center of their heart, then the values of that democracy are going to become immoral. The values and the way of that nation will become like nations in the past that have become atheistic or, uh, you know, uh, paganistic, and we will fall by the wayside. And so John was speaking, or rather, rather, shall I say, Isaiah was prophesying to a, a nation that was meant to be built on a theocracy. And, he was, and the prophet Isaiah said, one will come and he will make straight the path. Now I want to tell you something. I believe in instituting moral legislation but you can't do that just by force. A person's heart has to change and uh, 
moral uh, uh, legislation doesn't change the heart of a man or a woman. I'm all for it. I, I hope you don't get offended. But I believe, like David says, you knitted me in my mother's womb in that hidden place. And this is not to hurt or injure anyone who may have had an abortion in the past. The gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. It's a gospel of grace. We're not here to shame and we're not here to condemn. But nor are we here to be silent about the truth. And we can change legislation, but that will not change the heart of humanity. And that's why my emphasis isn't government first. My emphasis is the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we can have a move of his spirit. There can be an awakening. America needs a reset, and the great reset that we need is Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. So John the Baptist came to a people that proposed to live by a theocracy. And Isaiah said when he comes, he will say, make straight your paths. He's speaking about crooked lifestyles that deviate and turn to the left and turn to the right from the straightness of the word of God. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Can I have the next part of the verse? People went out to him, John the Baptist, we now jump to verse 5. From Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I'm going to stress this again. You want a revival? It's not about who the next president is. I have strong opinions when it comes to political issues. I'm not a non-active voter. I am very active in my opinions. But governmental policies aren't going to bring the supernatural renewal that we need in this nation. Notice, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him. I want you to understand this is a formula, this is a principle when God wants to bring change, when God is going to have a visitation amongst humanity, there needs to be a turning away from wicked things. And we could look at the world and say, yeah, the world is really wicked. But where does judgment start? And when I say judgment, not judgment as God's going to pull out his guillotine and we're all going to be fresh but dead meat. No, we're not fresh dead meat. He wants us to turn our hearts towards him. In fact, in the book of Malachi, the prophet writes, turn your hearts towards God and he will turn his heart towards you. You see, it's, it's repentance. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the word repentance has been stereotyped in, in social media and in cartoons going back years ago. And repentance is always categorized with some out-of-date, out-of-touch kind of cr crazy preacher walking the streets with a san sandwich board uh, on him saying, repent for the end is near. Isn't it like the devil, if repentance 
of sin, turning away from sin, will usher in a move of God. Isn't it very clever that the devil makes the concept of repentance to be comical and ridiculous? Because that's the very key that will unlock the presence of God and a move of God. Repentance has to happen in the church. You can say, well, I'm already born again. I, 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 yes, I'm born again, but I could tell you right now, and I'm not going to list them, but I, there are one or two things I still need to change in my heart and in my attitude. I could see you're all shocked because none of you are like me. <laughs> Most of us are like the rest of us. And there are attitudes that surface. There are thoughts that surface. Sometimes a thought becomes a habit, and I got to pull back and say, whoa, I can't live there. I can't go there. If you're not aware, it, even your senior pastor has to come before the Lord and go through the checklist of his lifestyle and make sure it adds up with the Word of God. You're too quiet for me. Maybe you're so quiet because you realize I'm talking to you as well. But every one of us, repentance isn't a one-time deal or a one act. It's a mentality. It's an attitude. Have your way. We were singing, have your way. Have your way. Repentance is God, not my way, your way. The first need for repentance was in the Garden of Eden. Adam said, God, I'm not doing it your way. I know you told me not to eat from the tree, but this fine-looking woe man that you gave me is offering me a bite of the fruit. And the need for repentance started right there in that moment, in that second, when man thought, the heck with it. My way might be better than God's way. And Adam needed to repent in his head before his hand reached out and grabbed that fruit and ate it. Now, I thank God I am born again. I'm filled with a spirit. I know my name is written in heaven, and I don't live under a spirit of condemnation. I live under an atmosphere of God's favor and God's love. And when I talk about the fact that I need to look in my heart and make sure things are right, I don't get condemned about that. I get convinced about that. And I know that even if I need to repent of something, that when I confess it to Jesus and lay it down, he is quick and gracious to forgive me of all my sins. Come on, if you know that Jesus, make some noise about him. Absolutely. He's not the one I run from, he's the one I run to. When I've done wrong, when I'm not right, I run to him. Because I've learned that even if you run from him, sooner or later, you're going to come back face to face. Absolutely. So I might as well just run to him straight out of the gate. Save a lot of pain and a lot of time. Who knows what I'm talking about? Come on. Absolutely. I can see the way you're laughing. Some of you, you've been there a few times. You recognize the scenery. You've been on that journey. And so is everyone, whether they acknowledge it or not. 
It says here that John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the only time John the Baptist ever mentioned the kingdom of God. And he actually mentioned it as a side note. He didn't come to preach the kingdom of God, so it wasn't part of his message. He came and he preached repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sin. He was getting a nation ready for a move of God. How many of you are glad John the Baptist did what he did? Look, this is not just a coincidence or an incident. This is a God preordained step. I want you to understand this is a principle. You want God to come into your personal life, there needs to be ownership of the things we do wrong. So on a personal level, if you want God moving in your life, you got to take ownership for what's been wrong in your life, what you've done wrong, and come to him, lay it at his feet, and uh, leave it at his feet. It's not a matter of laying it at his feet so he can brush us off and say it's okay, and then we pick it up and we, you know, it's a little bit like confession. You confess your sins at a confessional and then you go out and the next couple of weeks you do the same things all over again because you know you can go back to the confessional. And it's with almost deliberate intent. No, repentance is laying it at his feet. We take ownership, but now I don't want to live with it. I don't want it to own me. I'm going to lay it at his feet. In fact, John the Baptist, when the Pharisees came to be baptized in water, the whole, the whole country, people were moving, people were swayed. This is what the Bible says. They came from everywhere, and the Pharisees came. And I haven't put that scripture on the board, but if you read more of the verse, you'll see the Pharisees came and the Sadducees came, and they came to be baptized. And, and John, he was so dedicated to this message. He understood God's not going to move unless we call this place to repentance. And he didn't want something superficial. So he turned to the leaders of the nation. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're coming here to be baptized because all the people are repenting and getting baptized. And you don't want to be the odd man out. But I'm going to tell you straight. You need to produce the fruit of repentance. You know what the fruit of repentance is? The evidence, you left it at Jesus' feet and you didn't pick it up again. Hang on a second. I know I've been away for a week and I've just been at a conference in this particular church. I hear them at two years in a row. In fact, we make a few jokes about it. They say wow even when there was nothing wow that was said. Uh, we were taking communion in the middle of one of the services and one of the pastors, he's walking to the pulpit and he had his communion cup. He says, I'm going to need another one. I dropped my wa wafer on the way up here. And people went, wow. <laughs> so I think the, sur the statement I just made deserves a better response than I just got. Can I get an agreement? Come on, church. Listen. The more you, you fire me up by giving me a yes or preach it, that's right. Let me know that I don't have to have a resurrection service. Okay? 
I know America needs an awakening, but I don't want that we have to get woken up here in the church every sermon. Give me something to go on. Let me know you're here. You're with me. In fact, do something better than that. Make a statement by letting the devils know you're in agreement, you're on board, and you're with what's being preached. Amen. Amen. It was the only time he mentioned the kingdom of God, and it really was just by default, he said, repent, because the kingdom of God is coming. He never preached about the kingdom of God. He preached repentance, and I'll show you that from Scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. The beginning of the good news. Mark starting his gospel, and this is how he starts it. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Matthew quotes this. Now Mark's going to quote it. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Church, did I already say that this is a principle? It's a principle. God prophesied through Isaiah, look, this, this is what's going to happen. Why did God announce it? 800 years before. It had to be pretty important if God taps a prophet and puts his spirit on him and gets him to start prophesying this. And you say, well, why was that so important just for it to happen? Maybe so that we'd recognize the principle. Unfortunately, too often, we want to get people in and out so fast, it's like a fast food chain, and we don't learn principles. I want you to understand there are principles to the kingdom of God. And when we live by the principles of the kingdom of God, the principles of darkness can't rule us. Amen. Amen. Wow. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Paul says that we wrestle against principalities. Listen, you don't have to wrestle with principalities when you're walking and living according to the principles of God. Because when you're walking and living by the principles of God, the principle of all principles will make sure that his leading hand and guiding hand and protecting hand and providing hand is with you. Amen. In Acts chapter 13, just to confirm that really John's message, he didn't preach the gospel. He came as a preparer. He came to prepare the way. In another passage, Isaiah says that uh, he will make mountains low and low places bring them up. Those that are proud and haughty will be brought down and those that are depressed and downtrodden will be lifted up and crooked paths will be made straight. 
This is not talking about changing the geographical landscape. This is not about urbanization. This is about people's lives. And God wants us to get off our high horses and stop being arrogant. And those of us that think we're no good and we're better off being dead, God wants to raise up the valley and say, come on, you're worth it. Come on, I'm pouring out my spirit on you. And those of us that have turned to the left or turned to the right, he's saying, come on, make a straight path. And that's the precedence to set when you want an intervention of God in your life. Yeah. Amen. That's what America needs. And that's why I often will get on my little bandwagon and say, look, I'm very, I am political. I have strong opinion about how the nation should be run. My first op opinion is this. I should run it. I'm kidding. But even if I did run it, I'd probably mess it up. We need the church to prepare the atmosphere by preparing the people so that we can have a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Come on, give me some encouragement. Come on. Let the devil know you get it. Absolutely. Do you know there's one way to turn a sermon into a reality in your life? You can hear sermon after sermon will have no impact on you after you leave the building if you don't emotionally get invested in the message. But when you emotionally get invested in the message, you're already taking ownership of it with your heart. It's not just that it does me good, it does you good. The devils of hell need to know what side you're on. But when you emotionally get invested by responding to the word of God, you are taking ownership of it and the principle is starting to take ownership of you. Some of you are thinking, he needs to go away more often. It's good to have a rest. But just to prove that John didn't preach the gospel, he preached a message of preparation. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is speaking, and in verse 24 to 25, he says, Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the headline. I'm not the message. I'm the preparer. I'm not the one you're looking for, but there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Paul makes another statement in Acts chapter 19, and he says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus Christ. You see... I'm going to make three statements. We're going to put them on the board as bullet points. Number one, John preached repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He came to prepare the spiritual atmosphere. Point number two, some churches preach you must be born again and therefore repent and be baptized. I say some because I am amazed the longer I'm in ministry, how I hear of people who have been in 
this denomination or that denomination. They were deacons, they were elders, and they never got born again till years later because it was never preached. So I say some. You could actually go to a church and never enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Jesus said that. I hear people say, well, I'm not a, one of those born-again Christians. I am a Christian, but I'm not a born-again. <laughs> Red flag. What do you mean you're not a born-again? You can't be a Christian. Oh, well, I'm white. I live in America. That's got nothing to do with it. I'm black, and, you know, I, I live a good life, and I believe the Bible. That's got nothing to do with it. It's a personal encounter with Jesus Christ where we come face to face and we take ownership of our actions and we say, Jesus, I'm glad you died on that cross for me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. Bring your whole kingdom into my life. I need you, Jesus Christ. And from that moment, we start building our lives on the principles of the word of God, which are the principles of heaven. So I say, some preach, you must be born again, therefore repent and be baptized. And amongst churches that, you know, preach about being born again, the majority of that segment preach only that. And it's very similar to the message that John the Baptist preached, except we've added, you must be born again. But that's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Don't get me wrong. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. You got to be born again. But Jesus preached a lot more added to that. Jesus said, I'm the gate. And no one can enter unless they come through me, the gate. You must be born again. That's why being born again isn't a type of Christianity. It's the only way to become a Christian. You're born from the old Adam. I just met this young guy over here. His name is Adam. First time here. Everybody say hello to Adam. So when I refer to Adam, please don't look at this guy and be annoyed. The first Adam blew it. The first Adam messed it up. And every one of us are born into the very first Adam. Not that guy. He's not old enough. All right? Every one of us were born into the first Adam. Being born again means you got to be born again in the last Adam. And the last Adam is Jesus Christ. I was born into failure but when I'm born again, I'm born again into the kingdom of God and into God's success. Can I get an agreement? Praise God. So when I say that that's not the gospel Jesus preached, I'm saying that's just a fraction, a very important part. You can't have a gospel without you must be born again. You can't be a Christian without you must be born again. The third bullet point is this. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God 
and spent his entire ministry explaining and demonstrating the kingdom of God. In the four gospels, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God over a hundred times. It was central to everything he preached. You, you know, everybody knows Jesus taught parables. Check them out. Every parable, pretty much, virtually every parable, there may be one or two that aren't, every parable is about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is like this. And then he tells a parable. And in the parable, he's revealing principles, lifestyle, how we should think, how we should act. So he not only preaches the kingdom of God has come and everything that means, you see, you can't have the kingdom of God without the government of God. And so when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, what it means is I am no longer under the government of Satan. He is no longer my puppeteer. He is no longer my master. He doesn't pull the strings on my life anymore. I have been born out of the first Adam and born into the last Adam. And the government is on Jesus' shoulders. And I live under the banner of that government. Hallelujah. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God has invaded earth with his son and he set up an invisible kingdom and we no longer have to live on earth as Satan's stooges. The sons of God are not meant to be the bread of demons. The sons of God are not meant to be the entertainment and the jesting of the demonic world. The sons of God are meant to stand up and advance the kingdom of God on earth. Hallelujah. Come on, if you believe it, stand up and give the Lord a shout. Come on, church. Come on, church. America might be in a heck of a mess, but whenever there's a church that's alive, America has hope. Yeah! Praise God. Thank you, Dan. That's what I'm talking about. Good stuff. Let me tell you, demons took note. And the more you emotionally invest in the principle the more the principle has hold of your emotions. I know. <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> if your name isn't on the church list, every Monday, Pastor Carlos takes the whole service and puts it to a video link, and then he separates the worship. You could watch just the worship. You could watch just the preaching. Or you could watch five-minute segments, and he'll go through the whole sermon and edit it and pick up about six, uh, three, five-minute moments. And uh, together with that, he puts the notes from the sermon. And if you don't get that every Monday, you could get a friendly text with my face <laughs> somewhere in there. And uh, you can listen to just little snippets like that that uh, <clears throat> got Galen all excited there. All right. 
Let's talk about what Jesus preached. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He taught about it and he preached it. If you taught about it, that means you go a lot deeper than just saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It wasn't a subject. It was a conversation. He taught it. The parables reveal how we're meant to live in the kingdom. They reveal kingdom mentality. They reveal kingdom heart. They reveal kingdom disposition. Parables aren't just, oh, what a cute story. No, parables are parallels to how life is in heaven. Uh, excuse me, didn't Jesus say, this is how you should pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we don't understand that parables are parallels of truth in heaven and they are principles of heaven and we don't live them here on earth, you can forget about it. You can pray it all you want. But if you're not living by the parables, which are parallels of how life is done in heaven, don't expect God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That deserved a wow. Praise God. He went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he taught about the kingdom. He preached about the kingdom. There had to be content. He taught. Listen, you guys remember the golden era of David's reign. Israel was great and powerful at that time. But let me tell you, God is going to reestablish his kingdom, and his kingdom is here now, and it's here in a spiritual way. And where you had victory over your natural enemies, now in the kingdom of God, you will have victory over your spiritual enemies. Because it's not a natural enemy that you have to uh, be conscious of. It's the one who pulls the strings in darkness. And he taught about it. He says, your sickness... Your ailments, they're the result of the first Adam opening the world to the kingdom of darkness. That's why every time he taught about the kingdom, he went around healing the sick. Under the government, you can't have a kingdom without a government. If you do, you have chaos. And the only kingdom that has chaos is not the KGB, it's the kingdom of darkness. Okay? To have a kingdom, you have to have a government. Isaiah, the same one who said, this guy is going to come and prepare the way for Yeshua, the Messiah. Isaiah also said, and the government will be on his shoulders. You see, I'm not just a Christian with a ticket that says forgiven and a ticket that says going to heaven 
when your lottery comes, you're going to heaven. No. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is we've been living in hell. A people that lived in darkness have seen a great light. What's that light? Kaboom! The kingdom of God came to earth. No longer do the sons of God or the creation of God have to live under the tyranny and the abuse and the wickedness of demonic rule. We have been set free! There's deliverance through Jesus. I don't live under the government of demons dictating and saying what's going to happen in my life. I live under the government of a God who's righteous and just. And Jesus said, it is finished. Listen, I know I finished that series, but when Jesus said it's finished, he was putting a period at the end of Satan's reign. He said, it's finished. devils tries to poke me and prod me. See, I understand the gospel that Jesus preached wasn't just repent, you go to heaven. The gospel Jesus preached was repent and pitch your tent and make a stand because the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you're not convinced yet, let me show you quite a, a number of scriptures that prove this is what Jesus did. So I read Mark 4, 23. News about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Mark, Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Why don't we hear more teaching about the good news of the kingdom of God? If the devil can't stop you from being born again, because that's the only way to become a Christian, that's the only way to get to heaven, not attending this church, I want you to come, but more than coming here, I want you to come to Jesus. I want you to ask Jesus in your heart. But if the devil can't stop Christians from being born again, his next best strategy is to stop them from knowing that they have authority, that they have power, that they don't have to be subjugated to demons. Do you think De Satan and his army want you to know that you don't have to be bullied? Do you think they want you to live in the knowledge that they are under your feet? I mean, come on, think about it. You think about great despots, great dictators like Hitler and others who were maniacs <clears throat> and they massacred <clears throat> millions of people. Think about it. Satan is a hundred times more than that. Do you think he wants the church of Jesus Christ to live in the revelation that the enemy is subject to us in Jesus' name? 
Do you think he wants us to know we can repel his curse and we are the salt of the earth, therefore we can bring transformative power to society? Do you think he wants you to know that every time he puts a spell on you, it can fall off you like water falls off of a a freshly uh, washed car? I don't know. I'm trying to think of examples. You talk this fast and see how good your imagination runs. Do you think he wants you to know that the fight in you is bigger than the fight he's bringing to you? Of course not. He doesn't want you to know that. If he can't stop you from being born again, he wants to keep you in the misconception that the whole gospel is only about being born again and going to heaven. How to silence the would-be, could-be troublemakers. Fill them with a gospel that says, okay, you're saved, you're going to heaven. Now we got them shut up while they're living on earth and we can go about our business. Now, you see what the devil really hates is when he finds spirit-filled Christians who are filled with the word of God and they know who they are in Jesus Christ. And they understand the character of God. I want to tell you that the phrase, the sovereignty of God, has been misused and abused. In fact, God has been abused. People, religious people want to teach you that God wants to beat you up and break your arms so that he can be glorified in your misery. If God is so small that he can only get glorified because you're so miserable, he's a pretty petite God. Well, God is teaching me something. And that's why I have cancer. No, the word of God will teach you something and it'll teach you how to avoid cancer by living according to the principles of God's word. I just went to San Diego to see my son. Now, not, not everything about my son is perfect because not everything about his dad is perfect. I recognize I refuse to wear rose-colored glasses when I look at any of my children. I will be their dad till the day I die. They may have left and cleave to their partners, but I'm still dad. And I'll still speak into them. They're still part of my immediate church, you see. Well, I just went to San Diego. Just like in me, not everything is 100% perfect. Not everything in my son is perfect. What would you say of me if I told you I beat him up while I still have the strength, broke both arms, cracked his ribs, and gave him a black eye. And he's glorying in it, and he's learned a great lesson. (laughs) You'd call the Department of Child Services. And you'd call me a monster. And somehow... We've concocted a gospel that that's what God does. I don't see Jesus doing that one time in the four gospels that talk about his gospel. I don't see Jesus doing that one time. In fact, what I see Jesus doing is untying the yokes and breaking the bondages on people. Even when a woman was caught in adultery, if he had a sharp word, he had a sharp word to the hypocrites who were just as guilty Because how did they catch her in the act of adultery unless they were in the place of adultery? 
the gospel of the kingdom of God isn't a transfer of one sort of abuse for another sort of abuse. God's not here to beat us up. God's here to pick us up. God's here to raise us up. God's here to lift us up. Come on. He's not going to seat you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and then beset you with every sickness and every problem in life because he wants to be glorified. You know when God gets glory? When I have a breakthrough, when I have a victory, when I get set free, when I get healed, I tell everyone how awesome God is and God gets glory. So Jesus came preaching the good news. Everybody say good news. Of the kingdom of God. And everywhere he went, he healed people. And people came to him. Matthew, where am I? Uh, Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. This gospel of the kingdom. I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Jesus spent time in synagogues teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. I don't hear it. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Hey, if you want to go home and you want the end to come quicker, maybe we should start preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. (laughs) It might speed things up. Luke chapter 4, 43, but he said to them, Jesus, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That is why I was sent. You see, this message is so important. We all know Jesus came to die on the cross. We know that. I'm not negating that. But I'm using Jesus' words. He said, I was sent so that I could tell people about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Earth has been invaded since the fall of humanity. God has come back to earth and his kingdom is here for anyone who wants to be born again and come into his kingdom. Jesus came to introduce the good news of the kingdom of God. So what is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is the government of God's kingdom has now come. And we live in it. Listen. How many of you think America should react and respond if Russia starts invading our shores? How many of you think America should react and respond if any nation hostile to us is invading our shores. And even non-hostile, if they invade, it should be reaction. Am I right? The good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God tells you, you are now under God's domain. And when the devil tries to invade and touch your child, put your hand out and say the name of Jesus and declare your citizenship in the kingdom of God and declare your rights and speak the blessing of healing. Rebuke the devourer. Curse that devil and say, in Jesus' name, get out of my situation. Get out of my family. Get out of these circumstances. 
Amen. That's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Knowing that after Adam gave the world over to Satan, God sent his son to start a kingdom within a kingdom. No demon has a right over you. Live by the principles of God and the government of God will always overshadow you. <clears throat> Luke 7, 22, he replied to the messengers, John the Baptist was in jail about to be executed and he's thinking, is this really the Messiah? Did I make a mistake? I mean, I'm about to lose my life over this. I came to prepare the way for this guy. I haven't heard too much about him except for when I baptized him and there was a voice from heaven, but forgive me if I'm a little bit depressed right now while I'm in jail. I'm about to lose my head. He said to his followers, go to Jesus and ask him, did I make a mistake? And Jesus answers uh, <clears throat> and he says, he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Tell John, the message of the kingdom of God coming to earth is getting out and it's being demonstrated by people being set free from the oppression of demonic activity. Luke 9, 11, the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He spoke to them. He reasoned with them. He explained to them. He spoke this conversation. He didn't just preach, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. He spoke to them. He made sense. He was logical. He laid out things. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Luke 9.60, Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke 10, 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is here. Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John sensed that the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. Remember how Jesus said in Matthew, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth? What did the early church continue to preach? Acts chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. For three months, it only lists one subject. He was in the synagogue. He wasn't preaching to Gentiles in this instance. And he's reasoning with the Hebrews. Listen, you guys are waiting for a Messiah who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and we're going to be the hotshot nation of the world. It's spiritual first. The kingdom of God has come spiritually to overthrow not Roman generals or, uh, you know, leaders of past 
uh, world empires. He's come to overthrow the spiritual principalities behind them. Because if you deal with the root, you will change the scenario. Three months, he argued persuasively, changing Hebrew thought. You guys are just looking for the reformation of your little nation so that you won't be oppressed anymore. God's got a bigger picture than that. He wants to deal with the oppression of the world. Am I losing you? You see, this is the gospel. Yes, you can preach. You must be born again, turn from your sins, and ask Jesus in your heart. But that is only how you get into the kingdom. Jesus constantly taught and preached about the kingdom. You see, when Paul writes to Ephesians and says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know your great inheritance. I want you to know the power that is in you. I want you to understand that you have been lifted up and seated in heavenly places. It's not a Ferris wheel. It's not a, a fair ride. Why did he put us in heavenly places? It's not so that we could get a bird's eye view of great scenery. He put you in heavenly places seated with Jesus Christ so that you would have power and authority and the last say over the powers of darkness. Come on, seated in heavenly places isn't a religious expression so that we could get goosebumps. It is a literal reality so that we could give the devil the bump and tell him to go back to where he belongs. That's why we're seated in heavenly places. If you're seated in heavenly places and it has no application whatsoever to your day-to-day life, What's the use of it? Oh, well, it's in a song and I can sing it. It makes me happy. But what reality does it have? Well, I don't know, but it makes me happy. But how does it affect and change your life? Oh, I don't know, but I feel good. You're living in fantasy. Now, I'm not saying this is a fantasy. I'm saying there's reality, and I want to connect you with the reality. We're seated in heavenly places because there's a new boss in town. And his name is Jesus, and we are seated with him. What America needs is not another election. What America needs is not a change of presidents. What America needs isn't the right political party. What America needs is for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and be the church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We lost it because we've been preaching a gospel that gets us forgiven and gives us a one-way ticket to heaven and life on earth is hell. No. We missed the rest of the gospel because the rest of the gospel is where we give the devil hell. In Jesus' name. Come on, stand with me. Some, really, when you think about it, they claim their name to the name of John the Baptist 
And he didn't come preaching the gospel. He came preparing the people so that the Messiah could come and bring the good news. Aha, the kingdom of God is here. To just be born again and your sins forgiven and a hope that one more day you're going to heaven is a phenomenal thing. But it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. It's like one of those TV ads. But there's more. Wait. Instead of one set, you'll get three sets for the same price. There's more. Not only is my name written in the book of life, my name is joined with his name. And at his name, every demon will cower. And when they try to touch my family, they have to back off. And when they try to touch me, when I come and stand in the name of Jesus, they must flee. I don't want to just get you to heaven. I want to make you a troublemaker to the kingdom of darkness here on earth. The problem with the church and why we're not having an effect on earth is too many have signed up for a gospel that gets them forgiven. I feel good now, and I'm going to heaven. Rather than recruiting them with the gospel of the kingdom of God on earth and getting them to live in the revelation of what all of that means. You're the salt of the earth. If I put salt on my food, I find that salt brings the flavor out. Sometimes I put a, a, a spoonful of whatever it is I'm eating in my mouth and it just, in Italian we say, it's got no taste. But you put some salt on it and all of a sudden it's like it draws out, the salt draws out the flavor to the surface. Am I on drugs or has anyone ever noticed that? <laughs> Okay, you're the salt. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. We're meant to bring flavor back. Too much of the church has been hooked by a gospel that oh, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, I'm forgiven. Oh, hallelujah. Can't wait till I'm out of here while the rest of the world is groaning and moaning in anxious expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. Hey, let's get the revelation. We are the sons of God and we are the salt of the earth and the gates of hell cannot prevail. America can be different and not by politics but by the humbleness of the church, bowing before the Lord and getting ourselves right so that we can stand in our godly position and have spiritual influence over the nation. And I don't have to be in a government office to have spiritual influence. I could pray in a closet and demons over the White House have to tremble and just like they left Saul's presence when David worshipped, they'll leave the White House no matter who's in it. Come on, church. Sometimes I think we're fighting the wrong fight and we're in the wrong game. I know what game I want to be in. I know where the answer is. 
yeah, I'm going to vote against abortion. And yes, I'm going to vote against uh, legislation that's trying to pass all this transgenderism and everything else. Sure, I'm going to vote according to biblical principles. But even if my vote gets in and it changes and it turns the tables, it's not going to change the hearts of people out there. It's only when we get right and we get serious with God and we start turning away from our little pet sins, the ones we like too much to totally give up. We put them at the cross and we pick them up again. Now when we get serious, the Lord of glory will come in and make his presence felt. You owe it to this nation. In fact, you have a greater obligation than that. You owe it to the heroes of the past, the preachers, the apostles. You owe it to the martyrs. You owe it to Jesus. You owe it to your Father. You owe it to the kingdom of heaven. He put us here to be the salt and change the flavor of this nation. This is the gospel. I believe it. It's the gospel where ordinary doesn't suffice the extraordinary through the supernatural power of God he's a supernatural God I expect if I'm in relationship with him I'm going to constantly regularly have supernatural experiences absolutely that's the gospel being born again is just a little part of it it's the part that benefits me. But understanding the gospel of the kingdom of heaven benefits me and it causes me to turn around and be a benefit to the world. You dying and going to heaven isn't going to benefit the world. Well, maybe some of you. I'm kidding. But us getting full of Jesus and understanding the power we have Understanding the gospel of the kingdom of God, that will benefit the world. Be convinced, be full, be persuaded. Eat up the word of God and understand he didn't just come to save you out of this place. He saved you and left you here to change the place. Amen. As I close this morning, I threw the phrase born again around quite a bit. If you don't know whether or not you're born again, I want to help you know. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and take over, this isn't a brand of Christianity. It's what separates a real Christian from a counterfeit. You must, Jesus said, be born again. You must invite him in your life and say, I was part of the old Adam heritage. I'm a sinner. I want to be born into you, Jesus. I want to be born again in who you are. With every eye closed right now, as we conclude here today, you must be born again. The gospel doesn't start till you're born again. If you think I've been disparaging that, then let me make it very clear. Nothing begins until you're born again. Whether you've walked away from God 
today he's tugging on your heart like the prodigal son. Or maybe you've been an atheist or an agnostic or just you don't want it. Here's the problem. God wants you. And he'll keep chasing you. And everyone right now ready to ask Jesus into their heart. Would you raise your hand while eyes are closed? Come on, raise your hands. One, two, three. Four, five. On this side, let me see on this side. How many of you want to ask Jesus into your heart? Those of you that raise your hand, you can put it down up the front. Thank you. That's six. Amen. It's it's not about the numbers, but I want to recognize you. This is important. Church, why do I make an altar call for salvation every Sunday? I could cut the church service short by ten minutes. I do it every Sunday because being born again is where it starts. You must be born again. Every one of you who raised your hands and every one of you who have already done this, to those of you that raise your hand, you're in good company. We've all bed down this road. Church, give them a big round of applause. I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me, especially those of you who raised your hand. Everyone else's, they're okay about waiting. They know this is the most important thing. As you pray it, mean it in your heart, and it'll be heard in heaven. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I don't even love myself all the time. But you all the time love me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. And thank you for the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God. And you became flesh. And you died on that cross for me. And today... I open my arms, I open my heart, and I welcome you, Jesus Christ, and all of the kingdom of God. Come inside of me. Jesus Christ, forgive me of all my sins. Sign me up. Live in me, and live with me, and live through me. Father, I thank you. You just heard that prayer. I thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart today, forgiving me of sin, and starting a new life with me. Thanks. Amen. Amen. Come on, give them a big round of applause. That's awesome.